everyone <laughs> might be might be wondering why we chose that song if I were a carpenter by Johnny and June Carter Cash I mean it's just a super cool song but it's a real <laughs> beautiful love song and every time that song plays I always think of my wife and just in the context if I was just a carpenter you know she'd still marry me she'd even have my baby which it's not about like a position I have or how much money I make it's just about true love that's how I interpret that song. And it's a good thing that's how I feel about it. <laughs> no, I really do, yes. All right, well, um, yes, we're Chad and Kelly. As was mentioned, we will have been married 24 years this July and have five kids. And as you know, tonight's topic is God's design for sex and marriage. Um, yep, yeah, you guys could whistle. <laughs> it's an exciting topic. Um, in light of our topic tonight, we thought it'd be a good um, idea for you guys to know that we did not grow up in Christian homes. Uh, we are both sexually active until we both became believers at the age of 21. Be really important for you to know that we're not sex experts. We're not sexperts, as it's, I hear it said. We're not sex therapists. We've never even read books about sex. So we're, so we're really not qualified to Yeah, we're really not very qualified. But more importantly, we've just grown in and discovered the joy of sex in 24 years of marriage as it relates to our oneness. So that's what we're hoping to like touch on tonight. Also, we're going to be having a Q&A panel tonight. And I just want to make sure, did everybody get one of those three by five cards in a pen? Great. So really, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that some will just feel comfortable to ask questions, but it's okay. That's why we handed those three by five cards. If you're just not comfortable and as we're teaching and just write down a question and then uh, as we transition to the panel, what we'll do is just have those questions passed to the aisle and then someone from the marriage ministry will pick them up. So again, that's why we handed those three by five cards out. All right, so in setting the table for our time tonight, we want to start by first acknowledging that sex is a huge topic. It's a sensitive topic for some, it can be a complicated topic for others, and then yet for others it can be a really cool, insane topic because you're doing so great. Um, but we know that tonight we won't have the time to address everything that probably should be addressed. Um, we ourselves will only be scratching the surface, and so what we're going to be doing is taking a really broad approach, a big picture view of God's design for sex and marriage tonight. So we're just laying a foundation, and we really want that to be clear. Um, we do, however, I think it, Leanne had already said it, that there are copies for any resources on the subject that are here available out there or on our website. And, um, you know, with this big picture view that we're going to be addressing tonight, it's important that you hear that the way we're going to be doing it is from a biblical approach. Um, so it's going to be Chad and I teaching on this subject and less personal than the previous um, speakers before us. And there's two reasons for that. Uh, for one, we'll be having a panel up here. 
And um, they're going to be from couples on our marriage team. And they're going to be up here because it's specifically designed then to make tonight more personal. It'll be from different views, different stages in life, different perspectives. And then the second reason why the panel and not us being more personal throughout our time up here is that honestly we don't have a lot of crazy stories to share on the subject or experiences. We haven't had um, like big sin issues um, in our marriage when it comes to sex and God, that is God's grace, truly, we know that. It's not that we have never had any issues or we've always had it going good and all together in every way. That is just not the case. But um, on this subject, we really have been able, by God's grace, to grow in our own sexual relationship over the past 24 years without any real major ups and downs. No pun intended. Because, <laughs> you know, there's been a lot of ups and downs. Yeah, there's been a few ups and downs. <laughs> In the but, right way. Yeah. But we do feel that we have a responsibility, being with the, the marriage team and, and all, to really draw our attention here tonight to what God has to say on this subject. And um, we want to acknowledge up front that there are topics that really should be addressed concerning this that we won't be able to cover in depth or the panel but there will be opportunity on the panel for some of those to get answered, hopefully. So does that sound good? For, okay, so um, if you are note takers, it'd be good if you wanna do that because there'll be information you might wanna be able to look back on. Um, the topics that Chad and I will be addressing tonight are four different things. The first one is sex and oneness. The second one is sex and culture. The third is sex and shame. And the fourth is sex and pleasure. All right, so first, um, first and foremost in setting the table, and before we jump into these four topics on sex tonight, we must first start with the foundational truth of marriage from Hebrews 13:4 that says, let marriage be held in honor among all. And the word for honor more commonly means precious in the New Testament. So when Hebrews 13.4 says, let marriage be held in honor among all, we should hear the ring of preciousness. The Bible is telling us, let marriage always be thought of as precious. Let it be treasured like gold and silver and rare jewels. Let it be revered and respected like the noblest, most virtuous person you have ever known. Let it be esteemed and valued as something terribly costly. In other words, when you think of marriage tonight, let yourself be gripped by emotions of tremendous respect and sanctity. In relation to marriage, cultivate the feeling that this is not to be touched quickly or handled casually or treated commonly. In God's eyes, marriage is precious, and therefore he says, let marriage be held in honor among all. So we are calling all of us tonight to be out of step with the world on the matter of sex and marriage, that we would get our cues for how to think and feel about marriage, not from the spirit of our age, but from God, who made heaven and earth and everything in them including marriage, for the glory of his name and the good of his people. 
So let's start with topic one, sex and oneness. What is the bedrock of biblical sexuality? God's design for man and woman is that they would leave their parents, that they would commit to one another in marriage and become one flesh. It is this oneness that is meant to be cemented then through sex. We honor God by keeping sex inside the bounds of marriage. And in doing so, God enables sex to be a powerful gift, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. God has given sex to the husband and, the, and wife as a gift that they can give to one another, as it says in 1 Corinthians 7.3. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. So in this biblical worldview, sex is not about securing pleasure for yourself, but about giving an incredible gift to your spouse. And I honestly feel that this is a starting point. It is the place where Chad and I have endeavored to grow in, in our sexual oneness. It's the place of not being all about self and securing pleasure for self, but about being able to keep on giving the gift of ourselves to each other. I think the way that we've been able to be true to this over our 24 years has been, the first one has really been, I think, to have a healthy fear of God, that real reverential fear of what God has to say on the subject. It's also been us really learning and endeavoring to communicate with one another on the subject by being students of one another. And um, I think that would mean like really learning what the other needs maybe more of um, what, maybe more attention, maybe even more space, there's times for that. The other thing would be not intentionally withholding sex from one another and really trying to always think the best of the other. Not that that's always easy, <laughs> but trying. I mean, believe me, we have really honestly had our sweet and our sour days and seasons. We have because it takes work, doesn't it? It takes a lot of work to stay connected to one another sexually and in every other way. Also, even in God's design for sex, we see an image that he has painted uh, in his pursuit of us. In Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, God portrays for us a clear thread to the gospel as it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. We need to understand that Christ nourishes his bride. He cares for his, his bride. Christ gave everything out of love for his bride. Everything about marriage is to reflect the tender, sacrificial, pursuit-filled love that Christ has for his bride, the church. And God has given us, as married couples, the remarkable honor to live the tender, sacrificial, pursuit-filled love that Christ has for our marriages on every conceivable level. May that be a gospel responsibility that we take great care to consider, knowing that it's not the culture that defines what sex really is. God does. He has designed it, and he has defined it. And that's something we really need to like understand and embrace. And may we take great pains to really know and to show his beautiful design for sex, especially in our dark and lonely world as it relates to our oneness in marriage. Like God has called us as couples to reflect that in a beautiful way, not only in our marriage um, 
emotionally, but even physically and sexually in the right, pure, and beautiful way to our culture. And with that, then, that takes us to our second topic, sex and culture. So this is important. I want us to really think about this subject. Because when talking about God's design for sex and marriage, we really need to understand as the church, as individuals in your marriages, the sexual culture that we live in. And currently, we live in a culture that is sexually destructive. The onslaught of moral fail failures does reveal that man is in no place to define his own sexually, um, sexuality, neither to police his own ethics. The wickedness of sexual abuse goes all the way back to the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, we see that man's craving to define good and evil only resulted in a self-justifying disaster. So we must be vigilant to not let the self-defined, self-governed sexual ethics of the culture at large creep into the sexual ethics of the church. To keep that sort of mindset from influencing the church, we must be mindful of the failings of the church at hand. What are the subtle yet sinister realities of the world's perspective of sex that can wreak havoc in the minds and hearts of those pursuing personal holiness? Well, I mean, one particular area, the porn epidemic on our planet and in the church is symptomatic of a mindset that is wholly aimed at pleasing, pleasing oneself, and we need to understand that. The world and the church are sadly awash in lust and pornography by men and women. Believe it or not, 30% of internet pornography is now viewed by women and growing. The ability to fulfill one's cravings on demand begins to create a pattern of behavior that is not, it's not easily broken. And this pattern of seeing, desiring, and then acting on the desires of one's heart is purely from the world. A wholehearted commitment to do right to, to self will always come at the expense of others. And we really need to take this to heart. It is a mindset that serves self alone disregards the pursuit of others and cheapens the value of human beings and cheapens God's design for sex in our marriages. And I think that here is the state of things. Here's the state of things today in our culture and in the church. While the world and the culture around us never stops talking about sex, the church has been strangely quiet, strangely embarrassed, and strangely reluctant. Sex, we need to understand, is a pure gift that God has given us in the context of marriage. And it's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful, and it points to God's holiness, his glory, his life, his faithfulness, and his grace. You could argue that the gift of sex preaches the gospel of who God is and what he does for his creatures, it preaches the gospel of his love, the gospel of his grace, the gospel of his goodness. Sex, in the context of marriage, preaches the gospel. And because of that, because of how powerful that truth is, we don't have to be embarrassed then. We don't have to be embarrassed about sex. Sex belongs to the church. It belongs to the people who honor God. Because it is those people only who are ever going to understand 
of how it's supposed to be in God's design and to do it properly and to be able to participate in it properly. So we should not be silent. We should celebrate God's design for human sexuality because that celebrates the glory and the wisdom and the goodness of God. And then we need to teach people. We need to teach people how to think in distinctively biblical ways about sex, which that is our attempt here tonight. What the culture does is it isolates sex. It isolates sex as a thing unto itself. Sex is sex, end of story. And it's not necessarily connected to anything but my pleasure. And that is a heinously unbiblical view of sex. Because sex is connected to everything. It's connected to the doctrine of creation. God created sex. It is connected to the authority of God because God made sex. God made sex to never be an unrelational thing. It is always about relationship. And I really want to add and just say it soberly and humbly and yet rightly that sex is not about an object. It's not about an object, like things that we may view on our screens. It's about relationship. Sex is intended and all about relationship which transitions us well into our next topic, topic three, sex and shame. Most Christian couples would not list shame as one of the top struggles in their marriage. However, most marriage counselors say they've seen very few marriages that aren't hampered by shame on some level. It's just not often the first thing that's identified but it underlies so many other common struggles, especially when it comes to communication and sex. None of us have a perfect marriage or should expect a perfect marriage, but what holds us back too often is the presence of shame, the fear that I will be rejected if I'm vulnerable with you, the fear that if you're open and vulnerable and real with your spouse, the fear that holds us back is that I'm going to be rejected by my spouse. And that's shame. Kelly and I didn't come into our marriage with shame, but instead with insecurities, which is probably connected in some way to shame. I'm sure if we thought about it, I'm sure if we went to a counselor, they would connect some of our insecurities with some sort of shame. But like us, probably everyone goes into marriage feeling in some way insecure about sex, when it comes to your own sexual performance and or your body, it may be fair to say that no man feels like Don Juan or maybe Magic Mike. I mean, maybe some of you do. I mean, some of you men might feel like Don Juan or maybe Magic Mike, but I mean, I sure don't. Well, and then maybe <laughs> there's some women that um, I think not many of us feel like a Victoria's Secret model coming into marriage or Bo Derek. Y'all remember Bo Derek? <laughs> if you're like That's for 50 the older crew, Bo Derek. Remember, she came out of the water with the braids in her hair. <laughs> okay, well, anyhow, but maybe some of you did enter marriage feeling like a Victoria's Secret model or Bo Derek, but. Or Magic Mike, but, but not <laughs> but us. Didn't. But not us. Yeah, no. And I just really want to encourage us and give us something really practical because the, and important. The way to fight shame, since most of us probably wrestle or come into our marriage with with some sort of shame, 
and to be a part of shame's healing for one another is to first cultivate a safe place within your marriage so you can begin to risk openness in these areas where we want to hide from one another. So we need to first create a safe place, a safe place of grace, a safe place of love, a safe place of dwelling with one another in an understanding way, a safe place of acceptance. And if we can really create that safe place, then we're going to be willing to risk openness and be vulnerable with one another instead of hiding from one another. We may have been hiding like Adam and Eve since the Garden of Eden, but the hope is that God covers our shame and enables us to help cover one another's shame. God does cover our shame in the righteousness that we received as Christians, but from that, it should give us hope to cover one another's shame. If redeemed marital intimacy is to be naked and unashamed, the way to move towards this goal is to become part of healing shame for each other. And we as couples, as married couples, we actually have this opportunity to do this in a more powerful way for our spouse than anyone else. Again, more, more powerful than possibly a counselor or a girlfriend or a, a guy friend. The most powerful way God has set it up, not to say counseling's not important because a counselor could do that, but we have the unique opportunity for one another. We have the unique chance to see them, to see our spouse at their most vulnerable and to bestow grace and compassion instead of judgment and, and rejection. That's how God is calling us in our marriages as spouses to bestow grace, compassion, instead of judgment and rejection. And the only way we can do this for one another is as we experience this grace from God to us in Jesus Christ. If I'm going to be able to bestow grace upon my wife, then I first need to understand and receive the grace of God that he bestows upon me every day. If I'm going to bestow love upon my wife in the right biblical unconditional way, then I'm going to need to know how to receive the unconditional love of God. And so when we are able to do that, then we're going to be emboldened by the gospel. We're going to be empowered by his spirit. Then we can be a reflection of the covering of this covering of healing grace for our spouse. We can be we can begin by acknowledging. We got to acknowledge and begin to name, like naming naming the areas where shame has held us back from unashamed intimacy in our marriage. We've got to get to that place by God's grace and with God's help. And so maybe there is shame that needs acknowledging or naming um, from wives who are feeling increasingly uncomfortable about the sexual expectations your husbands are bringing into the bedroom. And so to the women right now, um, I want to say that it should never be the situation where after having sex with your husband, where you feel put upon, demeaned, feel dirty, or guilty, or that you don't feel good enough, or that you think you've done something that is not pleasing to God, and where you walk away with shame. Because shame in marital sex is a screaming, flashing alarm 
because shame should not be part of marital sex. It is the one place where sex isn't to be shameful. I would add it is to be sacred. Now, if I were to have shame feelings, it means that I have been forced to do things that I don't understand or that my conscience may be pushing against because the person I'm having sex with, my husband, is perhaps demeaning rather than serving or demanding rather than serving. So how could it then be anything else but that? And you have to think about that. So then it would be me being pushed to places that I'm not comfortable in, and that would be clearly the case, clearly what would be going on there. And I'd really, I mean, I'd like to add, because I think it's super important, that if one spouse is not comfortable doing something in the bedroom that the other spouse is, then that thing should not be done or allowed until you're both on the same page. And then if you never get on the same page with that area, then the one that is comfortable with something that the other isn't, then he or she needs to die to self and prefer the other. And this is really what we see in Romans chapter 14, maybe in a different context, but it does apply to this. And it's really the context of preferring from love the other person above yourself. So in Romans 14, it says if somebody's distressed about something you're doing and the other, that person's distressed and you're aware of it, then the way of love is I consider you much, way more important than my needs or my particular wants because I love you. And so it's easy for me to die to this particular area until we get on the same page. But if we never get on the same page, then that's okay because I love you more than a particular need or a particular thing that I'm into. So I think that's super important. And then I also want to say, this is addressed to the men, and I would say the following. I think that one of the lies of the cultural view of sex is that sex is supposed to be all about the erotic <clears throat> arousal. That it's got to have that almost dark erotic arousal to it, or it's not exciting. Marital sex is not to be a form or a dark form of erotic arousal, arousal, especially through sexually suggestive Im Im images or words, because that kind of form of erotic arousal has always got to have more. You're never going to be satisfied. You'll get into a pattern of, uh, I've got to do more. I've got to do more wild and weird things. And believe me, if you go down that path of just wild and weird and dark, uh, dark erotic arousal, you're going down a slippery slope. That's not what God intended it to be because God is the one that's going to satisfy. All that stuff I don't think is fundamentally what God meant se sex to be. It is this regular expression of exciting physical love and pleasure between people who know themselves well and who are doing this together, who are seeking to please and serve one another. And they end the act feeling loved by God, 
loved by one another, satisfied and thankful, not guilty and shamed or mad because you wouldn't do what I want you to do. So in, in addressing this area, start with yourself. Where have you unwittingly shamed your spouse? Name this and express that you want to be a safe place of refuge and safety for your spouse from, from the shame instead of actually a contributor to it. Then with gentleness and love, speak about ways that you have felt shame from your spouse and offer a few practical ways that he or she could grow in becoming a safe place for you. Remembering that you're a team, that God has made you one, and that you are a team. And I would just add to that by saying, because you are so much a team, because God, he's the one that has joined you together, and just the fact that he's joined you together to be closer than any other human relationship will or can be, naked and unashamed intimacy is how he created marriage to be. Through the empowering grace of Jesus Christ, we can walk toward more of this created intention that he has for us of unashamed intimacy together. So now moving from our topic of sex and shame, we want to move into our final topic, topic four, sex and pleasure. So the pleasures of sex are meant for believers. They are designed for their greatest expression by the children of God. He saves his richest gifts for his children. And we are to enjoy the gift of sex in our covenant faithfulness to our spouse. As we see and read in the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verses 3 through 10 says this. And I'm sure some of us will blush or be embarrassed. You're, and that's okay, but we shouldn't be. You're too breast are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bath Rabim. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Carmel, and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Did you hear that? <laughs> I was blown away when I read that the other day. I say, I will climb that palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine, and the scent of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. Wow. I mean, wow, this really says it all. It doesn't get any more pleasurable than this. I mean, think about this. This is the inspired word of God. 
And when I read this, it's intimate. Yes, it's so intimate. But there's such a beauty. There's such a purity about it. That's what blows my mind. When God has ordained sex and God has ordained this written down on the pages concerning the beauty and intimacy and the pleasures of sex, isn't there a beauty and purity about it that almost makes you blush in the right way? Well, <laughs> wait, I just have to say, when we were reading it, I don't want to take away from it because it is all that it is that Chad read. But when we first read it, I am not kidding. We were laughing like little kids. Like little kids that laugh if you say any word. If you say sex, they laugh, you know? We were literally belly aching. We couldn't get through it without laughing. And the thought came to me like, it's so amazing how this almost makes us want to hide. And it made me think of the garden. Like as soon as their nakedness was exposed, they wanted to hide. But how today, like in covering, you know, when we talked about sex and culture, you know, our culture today, like so much doesn't even cause us to flinch. We see things in the store, on our phones, you know what I mean? Um, we read things, you could be reading a book and there could be something a little more graphic perhaps. But this made us giddy, like embarrassed, and it was us, you know? So anyhow, I found that interesting, isn't it? And because it has to do with God and what God has to say. It's powerful. And so, as we see in this passage, that the pleasures of sex are themselves an overflow of God's own goodness. And when the preciousness and the pleasures of Christ are supreme, all dimensions of sex, including experiencing pleasure, seeking pleasure, giving pleasure, they will all find their biblical and Christ-exalting expression. It's amazing. Everything God made is good everything, and this includes sex. Sex was made for the glory of Christ and for our enjoyment. This means that when a man and a woman come together in marital sexual intimacy, somehow mystically they mirror the wonder, beauty, and creative power of God like no other part of creation. This is how God designed sex in marriage to be. Sex is not only pleasurable then, but it is powerful. And it really is worth lingering on how great this reality is. I believe, I do, that God thinks it's great when we make an effort to make love to our partner, our spouse, our beloved, even if fireworks aren't happening. Just being together is good. Caressing, holding, cuddling, kissing, fondling, playing. We need to take the focus off of having intercourse and orgasm and put the value on giving each other pleasure because pleasure is seriously underrated. Pleasure for your body and giving for your spouse pleasure is really worthy of our time and our effort. Yeah, I recently read this story about a young man named John. And this guy, John, he met with a group of young men. He was the only married man at the time, and the rest were dabbling with pornography. In a moment of brutal honesty, one of them said to John, I just, uh, don't, I just don't understand how you can have sex with the same woman all the time. That seems boring. 
Without hesitation, John said with a straight face, I don't have sex with the same woman all the time. The silent stares begged for an explanation. John explained that his wife was not the same woman he married. She was always growing and changing as a woman, and he was always growing and changing as a man. They were not the same people they were when they got married, and neither was their sexual intimacy. Like a fine wine, they and their intimacy had matured over time. Sex was not always filled with flames of passion, but that's not all sex is intended to be. So John, he continued to explain to his friends that by continually neglecting God's good design for sex, they were settling for flashes of simple passion instead of the valuable white hot coals of enduring intimacy. God designed sex to be best enjoyed when it's based on something other than appearance or performance. He bases it on committed love, committed love that reflects the unending love he has for all of those who trust in Christ. Sex strengthens with time. And I just want to testify to that um, as we're entering in 20, yeah, we'll be married 24 years in July, that I can testify by the grace of God that sex, our sexual life, our sexual intimacy is only strengthened <clears throat> with time. And I'm going to be really vulnerable. Kelly doesn't even know this right now. But you know what's crazy? You know how we're kind of throwing away the throwing out the joy of sex, and I think there was a book called Written, The Joy of Sex, but I really never connected it until, I know this is just a work of God, until maybe like the last three or four years of our marriage. Not that sex wasn't pleasurable or good the last three or four years, but, and I mean, Kelly could probably testify this, but I'll just testify for me. Like, I've, in the last three or four years, having sex with my wife has brought great joy, like laughter, like full-on, this crazy, joyful, like, laughter. And I'm just like, I'm just blown away, because I know that's a God thing, and again, we've been married 24 years. It wasn't from, like, day one, the last 24 years. Every day, we've just had laughter and joy, but I'm just like... That is definitely a work of God. That is how God's designed sex. That's where God wants to bring us in our sexual intimacy with one another. And we're all in different places. And some of us may need to work through some shame issues or different things. But God is with us. God is for us. And God wants to bless our sexual intimacy in that way. And there's hope wherever you're at that God wants to bring us to that place ultimately. Um, yeah, I, mean, I want to share that. Yeah, I would, I would agree, not because I have to and I'm sitting up here, but <laughs> I mean, really, truly, it's, it's a beautiful testament of what God wants to do, what he has been doing in our marriage and in our sex life, and really what he wants to do in yours or continue to do for some of you. Um, but honestly, a lot of that has come with um, time trust, a lot of the things we've been talking about before, you know, that we've really, really with 
God's help and totally by his grace been really aiming to honor him with by by not compromising in certain areas and so um, for me that area of sex with Chad it's just been it's really amazing to see that it doesn't it just gets better when God is in it yeah it gets better the truth is sex strengthens with time and but in contrast the world portrays pleasure as just a flash-in-the-pan passion that moves from lover to lover and fantasy to fantasy. But I want to ask the question, but does this sort of pleasure really fulfill? Or does it actually deepen our discontentment? I would say it actually deepens our discontentment. I read an article in which Sting, yes, the musician Sting, said something really similar that after many lovers and one night stands like real, lots of rock and roll stars have, he literally said that nothing compares to having sex with one woman. His wife, Trudy Styler, of 25 years. Sting said this, that it, that it is all about being intimate, about caring for your partner, really engaging in intimacy before you you know, have sex. There's a playfulness we have. When we see each other, it's romance. I don't think pedestrian sex is very interesting. So this is pretty radical. Sting obviously is not a believer. But what's radical is Sting is experiencing, without knowing it necessarily, God's ultimate intention and design for sex in the covenant relationship with one person is ultimately way more satisfying and pleasurable than from fling to fling and this, you know, lover to lover and fantasy to fantasy. The offering of worldly pleasure can't satisfy a heart that was created for a deeper, lasting pleasure which can only happen when we are first satisfied in God. We need to first be satisfied in God, and then secondly, and just as importantly, embrace and trust God's design for sex and marriage. And in concluding this topic on sex and pleasure, there are three important truths that we want to share with you and encourage you with. The first one is trust God when intimacy is absent. Because at times, sexual intimacy may seem stagnant or non-existent. Such as, there's many things that can be a reason for this. I mean, being pregnant can after having a baby, postpartum, postpartum for some. Um, kids sleeping in your bed. That's all, like, kid-related. But, um, but that does take away from it. Um, sickness can, jobs can, traveling injury, depression, you know, you name it. There could be many things. Um, but there can also be things where you're bringing one or both of you have brought things into your marriage that you haven't dealt with beforehand, and that can be a block and keep from intimacy the way we've been talking about it. Um, but what about if there's one spouse that doesn't actually even seem interested in making love? It's actually a really good question. I've talked to not, I mean, quite a few, actually, people with this situation, um, where, there, I mean, there are reasons why 
or a reason why someone doesn't want to have sex or actually doesn't like it at all. So we would say this, instead of personalizing it and making it about yourself, our encouragement would be, and this is just a little something, there's more we could say on this, but perhaps exploring with your spouse what it is they don't like. You can do this for starters. You can start by just being empathetic, by asking, then listening, that's key. Asking good questions. Maybe she or he feels pressured, um, unheard, never really even was asked, you know, and um, there can be feelings of being misunderstood or taken for granted. A lot of times I hear that with women, and for men, sometimes they feel like they have to be a certain way, like a supposed like sexual machine. Um, but just to remind us tonight that true pleasure and intimacy, it's not found in having an amazing sex life only, but really in an amazing God. And I hope we're really driving that point home tonight, that we need to bring our sexual desires and our sexual dysfunction to Jesus, because really that is the ultimate goal of it all for us here tonight, is to really bring you closer to him and to one another intimately. Um, so I'll go on then to the second one, and that would be communication, that it makes intimacy more intimate. Communication makes intimacy more intimate. So simply making love in days of joy and sorrow will not bring you closer to your spouse. Because intimacy is cultivated through communication mainly. Having regular conversations about how things are going in this area and how you can serve one another better would be just huge. It's been said, often we've heard it, that foreplay happens before the bedroom. And this, it, it just really means knowing your own spouse. Like, what turns them on? What makes them ready to want to be with you? It, sometimes it's helping around the house. Sometimes it's just acknowledging and affirming your spouse um, throughout the day or the week. Um, there's more to that. But you have to know your spouse. Be a student of your spouse. Communication. Um, talking honestly and listening to each other about intimate issues is part of God's plan to draw you closer together. The truth is that we do miss each other, don't we, as husband and wife. We can miss one another on occasion, but honestly, it doesn't mean that this should be an excuse um, for neglecting our sexual intimacy and relationship. This part of marital union is really important. It has more value than we often assign to it. We really have to work at things. As I had mentioned earlier, um, we have all throughout have to work at many things. We have to work at anything worth having, especially when it comes to intimacy. Do not neglect this part of your relationship, even if it hasn't been perfect. The way to start communicating and honoring one another is by how you listen. So the third important truth, number three, contentment in sex comes from delighting in God. You can have the best spouse on the planet and enjoy the most fulfilling sex life imaginable, and, it, and this, this, still this fact remains. If our hearts are not satisfied in God, they will never be satisfied. Spouses can be wonderful helpers, but they are sorry saviors. 
The best way to have a blessed sex life is to delight in God who gives the gift. Jesus is always better than any gift he gives you, and, and that really does include sex and marriage. Because so many marriages suffer from many wounds, we need to understand that, and nobody's alone. If anybody feels like you're the only marriage that suffers from wounds, that's a total lie. If we were all honest with one another, we'd probably all be able to acknowledge all of us have some sort of wound, or, we've got, or we came into marriage with some sort of wound or wounds. There's power struggles. There's abusive situations. There's emotional distance. There's selfishness. There's immaturity and addictions. They're just some of the more identifiable aspects of a wounded relationship. Many marriages, though, and often the most healthy ones, often su suffer from something less obvious and easily recognized. A profound ignorance exists of the very nature of just marriage itself. That is, couples understanding neither what marriage truly is, nor what it represents with a God-centered view. Without this deeper, intrinsic understanding of the marital union, we actually labor under low, low standards and mistaken expectations. God designed sex to be different and better for us. And it happens when we are delighting ourselves in God first. So, I mean, we have talked about a good many things in a short amount of time. And with everything that we have shared, Chad and I understand that like we've mentioned, it's huge. It's a huge topic, but really our hope and our prayer for this part of tonight was that you have gleaned something. Honestly, I have talked to many young women, many women that have been married for a long time, that honestly, I mean, it's true of us too. I mean, where you enter marriage with premarital counseling for a good many of us, and with certain tools and things you were, you've thought about concerning sex, but a lot of us as Christians in the church just don't hear this regularly enough to keep us mindful um, of how we're to be doing it God's way. And so the, we fall back into what we knew before we went into marriage or what the world said or what have you, don't we? And, and before we know it, we're just trying to, we're stumbling along and not really doing it the way God intended. So our hope tonight, our prayer honestly has been that you would have gleaned more of God's perspective that would help you understand his design for sex in your marriage. And that we just want to leave us with this before we transition. That you would always let your marriage be thought of as precious. Let it be treasured like gold and silver and rare jewels. Let it be revered and respected like the noblest, most virtuous person you have ever known. And let it be esteemed and, and valued as something terribly costly. Amen. Amen. All right, so at this time, we're going to going into a transition. But before I invite our panel up, um, if you have any questions that you wrote down on those 3 by 5 cards, um, please pass them to the aisle. And then hopefully someone from our marriage team right now could pick those cards up. So 
pass them to your right or your left if you have those cards. Um, I want to also mention as you're passing some of those cards that some of the areas and topics our panel has experiential knowledge in, not all these topics, just some. I, I really want to um, preface that. But here's some of the areas, but not all. Differences between men and women emotionally. The different seasons, such as seasons of exhaustion and stress. Unmet expectations. Fear of rejection, getting over trauma, trust, like building trust, what sex looks like for empty nesters, when sex is physically uncomfortable, when one spouse finds no pleasure or has no desire for sex, pornography, pornography addiction for men and women, aging, bringing challenges like physical, mental, emotional, kids sleeping in your bed, which equals no sex. If you want to have sex, get your kids out of your bed. That would be helpful. Sex techniques, tips, and positions, a wrong view of sex, like possibly forceful or entitled, communication such as no communication which isn't going to benefit a sex life. <laughs> so I'm going to put these chairs together, all these chairs. Just give me a minute. Excuse me? What was the list? It was some of the things that can be covered tonight. So if you didn't write a question down, Chad already made reference to this. But feel free to raise your hand. Something comes up. Usually, as we get going, people get more brave, so. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to invite our couples up. We have five couples, including Kelly and myself. So would all the couples come up, please? Let's welcome all of them. Okay, whoa, here we go. All right, so this is our panel. I'm going to try to remember all the years they were married. This is Paul and Leanne Suji. They're coming up on 24 years of marriage, correct? All right, this is Steve and Terry Sales, 46 years of marriage to the glory of God. I have RJ and Anna Hosking. 13 and a half years because Anna likes me to emphasize the half, which is very important. And then we have Josiah and Krista Morris, 15 years, almost 15 years. All right, so before we go to the questions on the uh, three by five cards, does anybody just feel bold enough? to just ask a question without a three by five card. Anybody? From anything that 
Come on, you guys. Super shy. Oh, Amber's not shy. <laughs> awesome. All right, Amber, you just kick us off. With it. Wait, and I gotta get, I'm going to get this microphone to you. So how or what advice can you give people who maybe are coming into a marriage with very different backgrounds um, sexually and how that can impact them as they go into marriage? Because if one's coming in with a past and thoughts and experiences and things and someone else maybe isn't, um, that can lead to interesting challenges. So how or what resources or what things would you say to a couple who's maybe facing that within their marriage? Thanks, Amber. Is there anybody that would like to answer that question? That just maybe, are there any of you guys that, more, did any of you guys come in with different sexual backgrounds and experience the differences that were challenging? I think Krista and Josiah are gonna answer this question. Um, yeah, we definitely did. Um, Josiah grew up in a pretty conservative Christian home. Um, I did not. And um, I think what we would encourage, short answer, would be to develop your own sex ethic in your own home. And that happens by you discussing what your differences are. And as Chad and Kelly touched on quite a bit tonight, is communication. You have to be in that safe space to communicate about what your dif the differences in your past looked like in order to establish what the two of you can create then in your own marriage as your own sex ethic and what God would have to say about what that looks like in your own marriage. So it's kind of like having meeting in the middle, having a, a, a balance of understanding, but you have to understand where each other are coming from first and foremost, like they talked about, the safe space um, to be vulnerable in. And so I think without that safe space, you're kind of at a standstill. So um, I would encourage that safe space first and then to establish your own sexual ethic, if that makes sense. And sometimes a safe space just has to happen with a sex therapist. And like, sometimes like those sessions can be like the LMO. <laughs> and like, if you wanna really do further damage in your marriage, um, you could start weaponizing your sexuality, your pasts, your expectations, your entitlements, because we all have them. Um, so if you're unable to have a safe space in your marriage, then get one with a really good certified sex therapist or a therapist and, and do it. And most of us have and do that, <laughs> just so you guys know. All right, I think that's a really good answer. Is there anybody else that would like to just ask a question before we go to three by five cards? Anybody? Can I say one yes. other thing? Just yes. Um, I just wanted to quickly say that one of the more special things I think that's maybe overlooked um, that has been a huge comfort to me my whole marriage is that um, the covenant that Paul and I are in with God that's different than any relationship he had or I had before we were married. Only in, he and I are in that covenant with God. And it has always been such a protection. And I think of the word that Kelly brought up about sacred. And it becomes something that once you get married, is 
is a it's like a sacred thing that you want to protect together and it kind of makes the other stuff certainly not irrelevant like it's not like a magic you know wand but um, and I do think there isn't like magic dust once you get married that your whole past is not relevant um, but I do think that it's the covenant makes it a different um, a different place does that make sense all right Thanks. That was some good input as well. Hey, I'm going to go to a three by five card. What is a good way to deal with a spouse not being in the mood to have sex without pressure, wait, without pressing them or guilt tripping? Okay, so yeah, I got that. What is a good way to deal with a spouse not being in the mood to have sex without pressuring them or guilt tripping etc does anybody want to answer that question nope. not it you don't want to answer that question <laughs> does your wife anna anybody i guess rj is not comfortable <laughs> anybody else want to answer that question okay paul put that i'm gonna say that just like Chad referenced, I think it's about how, how can you serve your partner, your wife? I think that's the, the, the first and foremost. Um, because obviously either spouse is feeling stressed or overwhelmed and not to be in that spot where they want to have any intimacy. So from my 24 years of experience, uh, I would say that don't just look to get your own needs met or say what is wrong with her that she can't get in this space um, because there's there's a lot that goes on seasonally in your life you know you're within the first five years of your marriage I think you're you're learning to really understand each other you have kids those are that's a big one so there's always going to be something in the context of your marriage in your season where um, I think it, it it really takes a lot for both the husband and wife to really um, to really ask like what does that person need more than what I actually need right now at this moment um, that's it oh oh no she's just what you're saying I was saying cooking for your wife there you go. <laughs> doing the laundry those are Little examples, side notes. We can make a list later. Uh, we'll share it afterwards. Well, so I agree. I think that is, and we were talking about that tonight, like really serving is huge. I mean, that takes practice, you know, to be more habitual with that rather than I'm just going to serve you and like, okay, you're not in the mood. <laughs> you know, like serving is really following it with like a desire to want to serve, which means sometimes or often foregoing sex then, denying yourself, but then I'd say on the flip side, okay, so how do you help get your spouse in the mood, you know, like, and then just, I think it's simply just asking sometimes, like, honey, I see you're not in the mood, I know you've had a long day, would there be anything I could do to help get you in the mood? I mean, that alone could be really, like, enough <laughs> that you would even ask, and rather than take it personal and just be like, whatever, you see what I'm saying? I feel ready to answer that now, or to add to it. I had to think for a minute. Am I on? Okay. Um, so RJ and I have three young kids, so that 10, well, they're nine, six, and three. 
So that's something we've been dealing with probably for the last few years where he's definitely in the mood more often than I am. And um, <laughs> to be frank about it. All the guys are nodding. Yeah. But like Kelly said, I think communication is key, something that we've even learned how to do better recently. And I'll just give you an example of something that happened in our home just in the last couple weeks where um, you know it was a Tuesday night and Tuesdays are my hardest nights of the week, uh, hardest day of the week with the kids. I, it, they're just always brutal Tuesdays and he was kind of in the mood on a Tuesday night. And instead of where we usually might have ended up in a huge fight or an argument, we were able to communicate and I was able to tell him like, you know, Tuesdays are just so hard for me. I really don't think I can get there for you today, but tomorrow is preschool and no one will be home from nine to noon. So if you can take a coffee break, we can have a good time. So it really like helped. <laughs> you gotta get creative and you've gotta communicate. That's awesome. It, it was worth it. <laughs> That's a great example. Great example of good, clear communication. It really is. Like, thank you for like adding to that. It's really good. Um, before we go to another three by five card, does anybody have like a question that's kind of connected to what was just said? Yes. Um, while we're on the topic of seasons of life and little and young children, so um, does anybody else have advice up there about getting through that season? Because I know personally and with other friends, having young kids is very hard on your sex life. So, and I'm assuming most of you've all made it out of there and you all have children. So if anyone has any great advice, that would be welcome. How, I mean like, are you talking to young kids? I mean in general? So we, yeah, we, yeah, um, we watched their kids while they had <laughs> sex in their van um, on a camping trip. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I just thought a brother in Christ would, would do that. Um, I think a lot of it is just expectations, and hey, it's, it's a really hard season. We have four kids, um, 12 and down to three, and um, I think exhibitionism has grown because you gotta, you gotta be creative with timing, um, location. <laughs> um, where, where you wouldn't, it's funny, because you know, I think in our 30s, like, you kinda get a little bit young again and wild. It, it's, it's definitely ignited some fun in our, our season of life. But you gotta be direct, and you also, like, direct and honest and respectful is something Lan and Paul has taught us on how to talk about stuff like this with our spouses. Um, you can't have two without the other. And um, sitting down and being realistic about expectations and desire and, and also like moms like not just feeling sexy and you're, there's a, you're, you're drained of serotonin and, and all, all these love and connecting things that you experience when, when you're dating because you're nursing and you got kids pulling on you all day. And so when your husband comes and starts touching you, you're like, get the heck away. 
it's too much stimulation, like whatever. Um, and we have to, husbands, like we have to learn, like learn about that. Um, learn about your, your partner, learn about physiology. I've learned more about biology and physiology because of our sexuality and dilemmas than I have my whole life. Like they didn't teach me crap in school. Um, so just be honest, be brave, be honest, be direct, be respectful, and just go for it. Like there, there's nothing holding you back. It, everything is good, you know? Um, and there's ways to enjoy this. And it doesn't have to be sex. Like Kelly said something so beautiful about, and we, I'll get guys telling, asking me like, yeah, we don't, I'm not having enough sex. And it's like, well, what kind of sex are you talking about? Because holding your hand and binging on Netflix when you both have had a bad day, that's sexual. Um, and you know, other things, foreplay, stuff that you used to do when you guys were kids or just met, that's sex, that's sexuality. It doesn't have to be coitus or intercourse. Like, it doesn't have to be that. And there's, there's bad sex happening every day in and outside of the church with orgasms, as, but they're not connecting. And we see that in pornography, like whatever. Just connect, it's all about connection and pleasure. So, sorry, rant. All right, <laughs> you want to add and then we'll move on. I'll be quick about Kay. it, but. Um, just on a real practical level, um, I found for me, especially when my kids were little, that it was really helpful to not add sex to like my to-do list. Uh, even, even if I didn't write it down, like as a mom, you're like, I gotta go to the grocery store, and then I gotta make dinner, and then I gotta clean the dishes, and then I gotta give the kids baths, and then I gotta have sex. You know, like just that whole mindset is really what starts, I think, the problem. And so, um, my best recommendation and what I used to do is I would almost like plan out for it, meaning we would have dinner that would be like a Trader Joe's frozen dinner and it would be on paper plates that night. And I would just, I would just try to make more provisions for time rather than adding it to what was already full. Does that make sense? And, um, and this is like a little sexy, but I think it's okay to say is that, you know, my, my sister, who's a lot older than me, she used to tell me as a woman that it was really helpful for her to take some time for herself first, just by herself, like a bath or, you know, just give herself a moment to breathe and then put on her attitude with her lingerie. And um, I remember she said that, and I really have used it ever since where I put my attitude on as I'm putting that on. And it just... I think the biggest warning is to just not try and fit it in with everything else, like a to-do item. So, I hope that helps. Yeah, it's super. Oh, yes. Going back to the topic of how to pursue your spouse when they may not be in the mood, um, I think there's a difference between a man and a woman when they're not in the mood for it. I know there's similarities. Um, and I'm not so much asking like physically how to pursue your husband. Maybe that's more mechanical, but on an emotional level, when um, your husband is more, just, yeah, he runs his own company, he's exhausted, he's tired, he, as a man, how do you, how do you pursue your husband in a respect, sorry, I cry all the time, no matter what, I'm, if I'm on a microphone, I cry. Um, how do you pursue your husband in a respectful way, but on a, I know that it's a deeper thing. It's not. Does that make sense? Sorry. 
Anybody want to answer that question? Terry Sales? Maybe. All right. Um, well, it, it just has to be a priority. And I think it's important to learn their love language. If coming home and not having questions when he walks in the door is something that sets him off, you know, if, uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, find out what will make the evening nice and what will make, uh, how you can serve him. And I mean, sometimes he's not gonna be in the mood or sometimes you're not gonna be in the mood, but I do recommend making it a priority because you set a rhythm in your marriage and you, uh, you get used to making love a few times a week, once a week, whatever works for you, and then you just kind of fall into that rhythm with each other. So setting it as a priority and setting um, not, okay, Monday we do it, Wednesday we do it, Friday, I don't know, I got something going with But you know what I mean? Make that a priority, and you will get on the same page eventually. Just be patient. Um, I would add to uh, something that Chad and Kelly said in their message was um, alluding to talking about sex and communicating about sex as um, one of the most important things that we should be discussing. I know a lot of marriages in here, we sit down and we talk about finances. We sit down and we talk about our parenting. We sit down and we talk about what our vacation is going to be for the summer. But how many of us are sitting down and having, like, across the table, maybe shoulder to shoulder at a table, conversations about our sex life. Um, I would, I cannot encourage you enough to jump on what Chad and Kelly talked about in, in regards to that, that if we are not talking about it, we are not gonna experience the intimacy, the level of intimacy that we really want. And it kind of coincides with that question. If, and back to what Josiah said, being direct, honest, and respectful. I think the big elephant in the room sometimes is that we, forget that we're married and that it's okay to talk about this stuff. And I think we sometimes feel like we're in that dating space again where we're kind of playing the game of like the cat and mouse and playing hard to get and all this stuff that we really can hurt one another and we can really miss expectations. And we can, if we're not communicating, how is anything gonna get accomplished? And so I think if we can sit across the table from one another and talk to each other about these things on a more regular basis, some of those things that feel like you're missing of how do I engage you when you get home and you're exhausted, you can just straight up ask that question. And hopefully we get to those safe places in our marriages where we can give straight up answers, like Chad said, without feeling like we're going to be rejected. So again, it goes back to that safe space and communication. That's good, because I hear your heart. Kelsey, and, and I think everything's so new when you're newly married, too, and you, what you just said is huge. We all have expectations, and they don't actually just go away after a while. We still have them, so if you're not just point blank asking your husband, you know, like, it's, it is the sit down, and let's talk it, talk about our sex life and different things about that, but it is sometimes like what Anna even said. It, it could be like, I just want you, for you, the husband, to say, I just want you to know it's been a long day, you know, like where you're communicating because you guys are talking on the phone on the way home or earlier in the day. There are things we can do to be proactive and not wait, you know. And so 
just by saying, I just want to give you a heads up. I just want to have a little downtime, but I'd love for us to go for a walk or go do this so I can hear how you are. It takes extra effort for whichever spouse is usually the tapped out one by the time the other spouse gets home or whatever. So anyhow, it's, it takes work. It's worth it, though, on both sides. All right, is there any other like questions out there before I go to three by five cards again? Anybody? All right. Okay, I was looking forward to sex. Then I got married, and it turned out not to be everything I had hoped it would be. What now? You want to answer that? All right, uh, Paul. Kind of hitting on what they talked about, just from a man's standpoint. Um, you know, guys are just worried about, like, providing provisional, right? And we're just, that's our focus. But we do have to take that time to, um, I mean, I think you have to date your wife. It goes before even having sex. I think you have to date your wife and set aside that time, whatever day it is, Friday or Saturday. But you have to be committed to, um, kind of like when you were, Courting your wife. I mean, you made time to court your wife. You spent time. You would take that time to go to the coffee shop to go meet the girl that you're going to marry. And um, I think it just has to go back to that. And uh, when you go into that mode of pursuing your wife, your girl, um, it, it, it feels to me just like I, it was like I was trying to get our attention at the place where we work together 25, 26 years ago. So it, it ultimately, you just have to get in that space of making it a priority to um, dating your wife. It, it sounds a little like you're rewinding things a little bit, but I feel like that is where you kind of prioritize your wife, your husband, and um, you don't get lost up in the kids and the dirty diapers and all that craziness of life and sports that are going to happen. It's going to happen in either stage, whether you're in that first five-year marriage, and I hit back on just seasons of your life, and um, you just have to kind of keep it fresh in that way, right? So um, I, I think I hit the question. Can I add to that? Well, does somebody, I understand that, just like laying the foundation of like, dating your wife and the importance of building intimacy and that relational connectivity just connecting which obviously may answer this question down the road but i think this person is asking again i was looking forward to sex then i got married and it turned out not to be everything i hoped it would be what now I think I can add okay. to that specific question. Um, well, when I, I do think there are expectations, so we have to, again, communicate. But also, you know, you are two different people coming from two different backgrounds. And like Kelly and Chad talked about, um, the church doesn't spend a lot of time talking about sex. And so sometimes you don't really know what to expect or what is right or what is normal or how it's supposed to be or how often or any of those things. I mean, that, that was my case. And um, sex wasn't exactly what I had anticipated either, if I'm being blunt about it. And I think there are cases and times where you can very prayerfully and very carefully 
talk about it with like maybe another couple that can help you address more specifically like why you are not enjoying sex what exactly is going on between the two of you as individuals that can um, help you out sometimes it's literally like physical, sometimes it's a lack of an emotional connection, a lack of knowing how to have an intimate connection. Um, it could be a whole slew of things. And so I do think there are times and places to prayerfully like bring in a counselor if you don't feel comfortable talking to somebody you know. Um, RJ and I have talked to older, wiser couples and been just very um, frank and forward about our struggles with sex. I would say, too, um, just piggybacking on that, that um, if you grew up in a Christian home, like many of us have, um, you're told, no, 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 no. Wedding night happens, and you're like, okay, go. And you're like, uh, what do we do? And I think that, like Anna said and like Chad and Kelly alluded to, so much of our sexuality has not been talked about in the church. And so we're really allowing these pre-married couples to step into marriage largely unprepared. Um, and it is as simple as like a diagram and explaining what all our parts do and understanding our bodies really, really well because even our sexual education that's in public school systems and whatnot isn't thorough enough for that. Um, so again, it comes back to communication. It comes back to discussing and like Anna said, sometimes that means bringing an older, wiser couple in Sometimes that means going and sitting with a counselor, um, but it's really getting the knowledge. It's understanding how our bodies work and what we're capable of um, and how to please one another and to discuss what that looks like in our, the context of our marriages. Thanks. That, I think that really, as a whole, each of you sharing totally answered that question. Is there any other questions? We have time probably to take one more question from the crowd, or I'll go to a three-by-five card, but I'd rather go to somebody in the crowd if there was just some sort of follow-up question or something. Nothing? Chad, I would just say, too, um, if whoever asked the question, if you would like more on that, um, resources-wise, for books and things like that, um, Josiah and I would be available, or anybody else, I would imagine, to come up and have a deeper conversation about it, just to put that out there. What would you guys say the difference is between having sex and making love? Oh. <laughs> I, I want to I say something, and then I, would, I want one of the older couples to dine in on this. But this is something that's been super helpful in our marriage, um, and it has to do with food. And so you've got like your Thanksgiving dinner, your Christmas dinner, and that's like super intentional honeymoon anniversary sex. Then you've got good old home cooking, which is like your, your go-to positions and, and that whole thing. And then you got your quickie, which is equated to fast food. <laughs> so there's no nutritional value. <laughs> now here's the thing is now, I'm going to give the archetype. Women tend to fall for the quickie because it's practical. You're busy. And the guys are always thinking about, like, the Christmas dinner food. <laughs> so we have to, like, talk about those expectations going into it. Women, you cannot live on fast food. <laughs> Men cannot live on fast food. 
guys, it's unrealistic to have Christmas dinner every night. <laughs> so, and then we have home cooking. What is the home cooking thing? But this is the buffet that God has put before us. Like, but this has helped, it literally has helped us like talk about, well, what is, what is, you know, the fast food? What is that? We talk about those, we call them sessions, if we're going to be more intentional, or like the more practical thing. So talk about those things. There's, so there's making love, and there's just getting her done. Is that what you said? No. Just having sex. Okay. Yeah. That's I guess what I heard that's is the just difference getting her done. right there. Sex is just getting her done. Yep. And making yeah. love is Christmas dinner. Or the buffet. Yeah, and there's different seasons for both, you guys. But I want to hear, like, from the, oh, from yeah. the vets. All right, Steve, does anybody... Steve. What? what? <laughs> I have nothing to add. They must have something to share being married 46 years. So. We... Well, I don't really know where you get the idea that women prefer the quickie. <laughs> I would think that that's part of the making love, I mean, the making love part. Oh, I, I depends say. on the live season. It does depend on the live season, but um, you know. <laughs> All right. Maybe I'll just make Terry. What's that? Say that again. Maybe you and Steve can answer honestly what your secret's been for being married 46 years. I mean, Terry. All right. I mean, that's a long time. I have my own. Uh, oh, go ahead. No, 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 no. no. You can both. What I told you. You can both. No, there has not been a lot of fast food in our house. Okay. First, Jesus. Absolutely Jesus. Second, sense of humor. Great sex. And I would say the number four I've added in the last few years, grace. But all of those things are really important components. And, um, you know, those are things, any one of those things been able to rely on for 46 years and sometimes weren't so much fun but um, I mean seriously we had a we had a period of time in our life where we were just so miserable we were in counseling we hated each other but it, the way we relate to each other is to put all of everything else on pause so that we can make love and that it it was good and bad it's not good because we weren't resolving conflict we were just ignoring it so that we could have sex. But I forgot where I was going. <laughs> you said that it was good and bad by putting things aside at times. Yeah, oh, I know what I was going to say. So, yeah, so we would put them aside. And when we were in counseling, we were just like open, oozing sores all the time. It was horrible. But we still managed to have a great love relationship. And we would literally be crying because we would wonder if that was going to be the last time we'd ever be together. And we knew that we would miss each other, but we could barely stand the sight of each other. So, I mean, I would just say also to some of the other questions, just be patient with yourself and with your spouse. Um, some of these things take time to unravel. Some of these things need to go, you need to go to a counselor, and I will tell my little standard thing. Um, years ago, I had a necklace that had a huge knot in it and I worked on it because I'm kind of a freak about that and I was trying to get it apart, couldn't get it apart, gave it to him. If he can't do it, nobody can do it. But I didn't want to just 
forget about the necklace. It was a gold necklace. I wanted to keep it. So I went to a jeweler. So I handed it to the jeweler, and I said, when should I come back? And he goes, oh, it'll only be a few minutes. And so I was barely two paces down from where I handed it over. and He had that thing unraveled. And I think that's a really good case for if you need to have a professional, even a friend, if a friend isn't going to be able to hear you, then, you know, talk to somebody who really does know how to unravel these problems. Because if you've tried together and it doesn't work, then you might need help, and there is no shame in that. And it can make a huge difference, and no matter what. And believe me, whoever you go to will have heard it all. And uh, <laughs> maybe from all of us. Who knows? <laughs> It's so good, and it is a shame because we don't have enough time to honor you all and get you home and get your kiddos. Um, but there are other good questions, like how do you deal with temptation when you're engaged? Um, other topics like is it okay to speak dirty to one another, use foul words even, you know, or whatever, certain words, or um, the topic of masturbation. I mean, I'm just saying. I'm saying it out loud to know there are other there were other um, questions, and we don't have time. So, what do we do with that? Just you see us. There's more people that could answer these questions too. But honestly, I know some of it's very private. That's why we want to do it with a card so that you could be anonymous. But if someone's like, I really wanted to hear something answered that I wrote down, or I want to ask and I wasn't brave enough to ask, um, just come on up and talk to us, because it could be about anything. It could be about what we shared tonight, Chad and I. It could be a question you have. So, yeah? Leanne, you had one thing you wanted to add, and then we'll close. <laughs> I just wanted to quickly say, when Paul and I spoke last time in part three, the nutshell of the whole thing was about uh, don't endure your marriage build your marriage and, and that mainly that enduring your marriage is not the same as working on your marriage. Do you guys remember that? And that's sort of what keeps coming to my mind even when that person said what now and what not. And I just want to uh, encourage everyone that, you know, God didn't make it so that we just endure miserable sex lives or whatever. You know, that's something that you need a trusted person, as everyone mentioned, but um, it shouldn't be something just in isolation to endure. I, I would encourage everyone to uh, not endure it, but work to build it with some of the ways that people encouraged. All right, so again, I do want to come back to what my wife said. Please, we're available. Seek us out if there's a question that wasn't answered or you need more clarification is super important. We don't want anybody leaving tonight confused about something. That'd be the worst case scenario, so please, if we said anything or a question didn't seem totally clear, please see us. Um, hey, if your question didn't get answered, throw out the question at our marriage ministry info email and write us a question and one of us from the team will do the best we can answer it or direct you to the right answer. So I'm gonna just uh, let my wife close this evening Okay, it's our last one of the seminar, and it's been really cool to do this each month. And so if you would um, just stand up with me, all of us. And if you're here with your spouse tonight, go ahead and grab their hand or the person you're engaged to, or you came alone because your spouse is working or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
So from um, our whole marriage team, we just want to pray and pronounce this blessing upon you all in your marriages. From Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think, according to the power that works within you, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And now, Father, we do close this time and this whole series by giving you the thanks, by giving you the glory, and recognizing that we are just like everyone else here that came to listen. We're in the same boat. Um, we're all in process. We are all learning. Thank you that we are your children and that you who began a good work, you are faithful, God, to complete it. God, bless everyone that is here with your nearness, your comfort. May hope rise up in the hearts that need it. May comfort be almost tangible to them. May everyone endeavor to seek you and your goodness, your greatness in their own marriages, in their own sex lives, God. Bless the marriages here, Lord. Bless their sexual intimacy. Help those that they just don't like it or it's hard. Um, everything we've covered here tonight, we ask that you would continue to minister to each person here. You do that, God. You do it best anyways. So we say all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, giving you all thanks. Amen.